0: Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want what fuels you to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Stephanie Springers Stephanie is the founder and CEO of Glam Hive the online personal styling service that brings together personal stylists and makeup artists recruited directly from Hollywood and Instagram to everyone. Stephanie is a lifetime style seeker and tech executive turned entrepreneur. With vast experience in the affiliate marketing and digital rewards space, she launched Glamhive as a place for the average consumer to share images of their outfits and get rewarded for the purchases they drive. Stephanie later expanded her vision to create a virtual styling platform that would democratize personal styling by creating a way for people to work with the influencers, stylists, and makeup artists that they admired in traditional and social media. Under Stephanie's leadership, Glamhive has developed patented technology that allows stylists and makeup artists to take clients through a styling experience that is 100% online, which means people can work with stylists anywhere in the world. Welcome, Stephanie. So good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Okay, I'm hitting with some rapid fire, and yours is yours is specific to you and to your industry, okay. which I love. Okay, who is your like style icon, style inspiration? So I have to say,
1: you know, I don't come from the fashion or style industry. So I, when I, when I thought about the rapid questions, I'm like, well, I even know the answers. <laughs> you know, um, the person that I love the most today is Kareen Rothfeld who is, she was the editor of French Vogue.
0: Um, do you know who she is? I don't, but I'm writing
1: it down. I'm she's look amazing. Her up. She's,
0: okay. I think she's like,
1: she's Tom Ford's muse, oh. but I mean, she's way more than that. I mean, she's been in, I don't even barely know her story, but she's probably 66, 68 years old. Oh, love. She's amazing. She just did a perfume line. She was the editor of French Vogue. She has, I think, CR C Lookbook, or it's, I mean, again, I don't come from fashion, but she's just, A woman who is amazing. She has amazing I saw her when I was in Paris last year. I just was at a cafe and she walked by. I was like, I kind of wanted to just go up and introduce myself. But she's- I love it when you see those
0: women. And always in Europe, right? Okay. So what are three words that your friends would use to describe you?
1: I would say, well, I'll just tell you the words that come up for my whole life. Stylish, sweet, and clever.
0: Oh, I love the word clever. Okay. What have you read? I'm guessing we were too busy to do all this, but maybe not. What have you read, listened to, or watched in the past, I guess, maybe few months that you would recommend?
1: You know, actually when I was in Paris, I read the Anna Wintour, um, the biography that was written and I loved it. And I, and again, I'm not like a huge, I love a good outfit, but I don't, I'm not some, I don't even subscribe to any fashion magazines or anything like that. Um, but i loved i loved it's called anna maybe it's called anna winter i think it's just called anna
0: and it's i wonder if it's on audible i'm a huge audible person
1: you know i was in paris and it, i bought it in hard back at the really famous bookstore uh i can't remember Gaglione or i I don't, I don't know how you pronounce it but um and i read like i would read it at breakfast every day i couldn't put it oh i bought it super good it was really good it was I a, and literally it. i just was telling a friend. It's the last book I read that I couldn't
0: put down. Now I'm like, I have nothing okay. to do. Okay, done and done. Yeah, super, um, super, What's one of your favorite concerts or the best concert you could oh, say? Oh,
1: Coldplay, had. hands down Coldplay. Here in Seattle? Yes, I went here in Seattle and it was honestly the best experience. And now a friend of mine is um, the president of a new startup that Chris Martin is doing. And so he asked for some help. And I'm like, I'll help you if you get me good tickets to Coldplay. Yeah, you're like, done,
0: love that. Okay, so since you're not so like fashion girl, which I'm not by, well, I mean, I might I, be, but I don't I Okay, so I you
1: describe myself as that,
0: <laughs> right? Well, okay, so here's my net net who's your favorite designer? Oh, my favorite designer is um, Balma.
1: Oh, and I'm wearing the t shirt right now. All right, yes, this is my favorite, and it's because um, it's very distinctive. I think it's like Chanel with an edge, you can buy. Balmain, whatever you want to call it, you can buy one and I think you will look great in anything or sweats. I don't care. doesn't matter. Whatever you have on with a Balmain jacket will look amazing. It's super distinctive. I feel, I don't know that they're privately owned, but I feel like it's still one of the fashion houses that haven't, I don't know. I just feel like it's still unique.
0: I feel like it's also remained very true. Like some kind of go off on different looks every, um, every season. And it's like Belmont stays pretty consistent. I feel. I
1: I love Chanel, but the problem is I feel like I look like Hillary Clinton when I put on Chanel.
0: When you were little, like, I don't know what little means. I'm guessing fifth grade ish. What did you want to be? Oh, I wanted to be a mom.
1: Oh yeah. I I just wanted to be my, I'm the oldest of five kids and I loved it every time my mom and dad had a, every time I had a new sibling that's I i wanted to be a mom like probably even through college are you a like, mom? I'm like the unintentional female founder are you a mom no
0: oh god we need to we need to get you a baby
1: no, wow. no I'm too old I might I might need just a, a puppy, a puppy. I, but I can't even commit to a puppy now we have I have a cat and
0: she's yeah. but maybe you got it maybe like you know cross that off your list because you had so many siblings like you've already kind of raised a bunch of kids it I did like. yeah so yeah. five oldest of five boys girls
1: oh I was me my sister then three boys so ah. yeah it, I mean it was super fun are was, you the only entrepreneur no my actually my brother Tim has a
0: recruitment firm called ah. Orin rice wait Orin. You're Tim rice. Tim's your brother yes I know your brother Tim is rad Okay, so tell me where you're from. Are you from here, from Seattle? No, um, we're from Colville, Washington. Okay. And we
1: grew up on a road called Oren Rice Road. And that's why Tim's business is called Oren Rice.
0: Okay, where's where's Colville, Washington? Uh,
1: it's like 75 miles north of Spokane, Washington.
0: Oh, okay, got yeah, it. So and you're from, from a Boone, big family. You're the oldest. Yeah. And I guess when you think back on your childhood, who were kind of some of your influences? or Teachers, grandparents, parents?
1: you know, the only person that I remember, like who always comes up for me is this woman, Mickey Ager. And she was, you know, the mom of uh, one of the boys I went to school with. And she would show up at church in Colville. It's a small town. Like it's a lumber town. It's like, you know, I don't know, 4,500 people. And I just remember she had this platinum blonde bob straight. And then she would wear these. I just remember her wearing fur coats to church. And I was like, I love how she looks. And now I'm like, did I somehow channel her? Like I've got the short Bob and I, I, I do like fur. Um, But that's what I remember the most. I mean, growing up, I loved Oprah, but I don't know
0: if she was really a mentor. I watched Oprah like literally every single day. Yeah. Were you a good student, athletic, musical? Like what were you into? Yeah, I was a good student.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's funny because I, if I were to just describe myself in high school, I would say like, I don't feel like I was one of the popular girls yet. Like, you know, I was a cheerleader and I was head cheerleader and I was Miss Colville and all the things, but you could, but that's because the adults kind of made those decisions. Not, not my peers. No, that's it's funny. true that, I mean, the adult, you know, if cheerleading wasn't like your peers, just there, the judges were like older people, like parents or whatever
0: coaches. Yeah. I, don't know. I was actually a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader and a cheerleading judge. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I feel like everything I've done, what Glam Hive is today, I feel like I'm kind of like a big sister to a lot of stylists, you know, or like when clients come in, I feel like I'm kind of like the big sister that's going to help them out, get them connected to the right stylist. Um, You know, I feel like I'm a cheer, I definitely feel like a cheerleader. I feel like I've, you know, have that personality. So in a way I look back, I think, yeah, those things all make, you know, I'm probably true to who I always was.
0: Yeah. And so school was something that, um, when you say like not necessarily popular, but school was a priority for you, were you um, clear? You know, some people I feel like were clear. And as a mom of two high schoolers and a middle schooler, I'm like, I feel like these kids have so much pressure to feel like they're supposed to figure it out. I definitely did not know what I wanted to kind of be when I grew up. I think that it was something around sports when I was that age. Um, But did you have a sense of like, confidence that maybe one day you would be an entrepreneur was there anyone that mod- modeling that for you
1: well my dad was a state farm insurance agent so it's different today at that company but at the time it's like you're 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 an independent contractor for the company that's right like
0: it's like a commission-based sales person. yeah and
1: so you know I think that he always it always felt like he ran his own business it was never like we grew up with the dad that complained about corporate anything really because he right He could set his own hours. I think that's a big thing for all of us kids, in a way, is we always feel like I think all of us, you know, are in roles where we're not. Oh, we have to be at work at this time. We I've I never liked that. Um, But no, I would say like I loved you know playing office, I love playing (laughs) house, I love playing school. Like that's what we were ready to adult. Yeah. So, but I didn't. I don't know. I mean. I don't know. It it was kind of like an innocent childhood because I think it's like 4,500 people, people, let's just say in the, in the town, there was like one high school, like everyone kind of knew everyone. Yeah. It wasn't that complicated.
0: Mm -hmm. Are there still people that you're in touch with that never left or that still live there? And are they like, Oh my gosh, Stephanie's this like glam hive glam girl. No, I it's weird. I'm
1: I'm it's weird. I almost, I don't know. Like, no.
0: Yeah. And so how did you decide Bare- to go to Washington barely State? Barely from
1: college even. Um, yeah, that's why I think I live lightly on this earth, you know, like I just keep moving forward. And I don't know, it's strange.
0: You uh, went to Washington State University. Yeah. How did you choose that school?
1: Well, you know, I, I'll tell you exactly. So, you know, and that's a funny thing, you know, something like going to Yale or Harvard or Stanford. I didn't, I don't even think I knew about these schools. Nobody went to schools like that. Like, I mean, I would say that in my high school class, you know, um, a handful of people went to college. My mom was like, you're going to college. That was always grew up, you know, we always grew up like that. Like that's not an option. So it was, it was never a question. Am I going to go to college? But I didn't really think about, oh, I need to go to some fancy school. I never thought about that. It, It wasn't even on my radar screen. So I applied to UW, WSU. Gonzaga University, like in
0: state, yeah.
1: Seattle U, UPS got accepted everywhere. And my dad was like, you know, I was lucky because he's like, I'll pay for four years at a state school or the equivalent anywhere else. And I think at the time, like UPS was probably like, let's say 20 grand a year or something. I'm like, just did the math. And I'm like, let me to see who it is. I mean, frankly, yeah. I came over, I toured UW and I was like, it's just way too big.
0: Yeah. I went to UW and I've told my kids as much as I would love them to stay local. And I don't even know if they would get accepted. It's become so competitive. I just, it was too big. Yeah. And it's easy if you're the kind of person who's kind of a shortcutter, which I would define myself to be like, how do I get from here to there the fastest? <laughs> it's really easy to just kind of cut corners and do the minimal and not learn yeah. as much when you're at such a big school, you can kind of hide.
1: Yeah. Pullman was great. Like I've not been, that's another thing. I mean, I've not been back to Pullman since all my siblings went there. I didn't ever go back. The day I left was the day I left. Um, did I go back? I don't know. I didn't, I did not go back. Not for anything. I don't even think of myself as a kook. I just, I just, I'm not a sports person really. Yeah. And what did you study there? (laughs) Uh, business and speech communications. So I like that, but I just, it was a great place to go to school. It was, you know, um, you know, I was like in a sorority and we did, there's this thing called Coot Guys and Gals, which I loved. It was like student recruiter for the, with the athletic department. I love that. Um, and it was great going to, it was. it's a great school. I mean, Pullman is great. Like in yeah. way retrospect, you're, you're not in a big city. There's no distractions. It, it's, it's a really sweet place to go to school.
0: Yeah. So you feel like it was the right choice. I'm, I'm always really curious when I'm interviewing people on the podcast, like choices that you make along the way, right? Like if you had to do it all over again, Obviously, nobody was guiding you to say, let's go to some big fancy school. But clearly, and as, I mean, we've had these big conversations in our house lately, even just around what's happening with AI and just yeah. the barrier to entry to success is changing so much. And schools are kind of like slow to the party mm-hmm. to figure out how to stay current and relevant. Like, who knows if where you went to school even matter in 10 years?
1: You know, I've been talking to a friend about that. Um, and I have a couple investors that we were give me some advice to her son that didn't want to go to school. And I do think it's tough because it's very expensive. Yeah. And you know, the advice that to, to my investors in LA, they're very successful. They're probably 34, 30, 35, something like that. And their advice was, you know what, just go live by live on campus. Don't even go to school, drop into some big auditorium class. It's more important who you meet. That's the thing about college. It's kind of the people that you can meet and i would and i would say so if i had a child that you know i i i get it it's really expensive it's yeah you know but i feel like also it's one of those things where if you didn't i still think if you don't go if if you've never gone i i can see where you would be disqualified i mean i don't know you're a re- recru- recruiter right so like what happens mm-hmm. if someone doesn't have any college anything on a resume
0: i yeah, have to it, it it definitely it it, there needs to be a story there needs to be a very clear story but um the way that I describe it when I'm talking to candidates or just, I talk to a lot of students um, and do kind of panels around this kind of stuff. I think that there's just that, like the the funnel and the bigger, the funnel can be at the top where there's just more options. Yeah. um, The better so that people just feel that they have choices. And unfortunately school is just one of the only ways to distinguish. And I, I don't know even what that's about, if it's drive or if it's focus or if it's, um, it's just, I it's think
1: just it's, March, grouping. Or, I just think it's, it's just yeah, how I don't society know. is. It's it's society's like,
0: just decided, but if somebody didn't, oftentimes there's a story. I had to take care of a sick, sick parent, or I couldn't afford it, or I needed to work or whatever. I got, I got sick. There's lots of reasons. And I think that if somebody can explain it on their resume, um, then great. But one of the problems is that now technology can be used to weed out resumes really quickly without even having a conversation Mm -hmm. so like at my old firm we had this incredibly sophisticated technology where we could just push a button almost saying like we we want to start at the top of the funnel at the top 10 schools we don't want to see anybody else and then we'll go to tier b and tier c you know and so it's terrible because you end up missing out on so many people that you would have otherwise seen if school wasn't one of the prerequisites but anyway okay we're digressing (laughs) so okay so you graduated from Wazoo and um at the time I guess so business and speech communications what were you thinking you wanted to pursue and what was that I'll tell you I moved
1: here to Seattle okay and at the time you know I mean I I moved to Seattle I barely knew anyone yeah that's just the truth I barely knew anyone I worked part-time at Starbucks the at the It was called the Columbia Center. But at the time, it was like the busiest Starbucks in the country. And that was fun. I mean, you know, but it's, and then I went to work for State Farm Insurance. Like, you kind of just do what you know. Like, my parents weren't connected or anything. I didn't, I don't, I don't know. Like, in a way, college kind of didn't really prepare you to get an actual job. So I moved here, worked at Starbucks part time. And then I took a job as a claims rep at State Farm Insurance and crushed it, it, I'm guessing. Well, it was terrible. I would drive to Renton every day, like usually cry. I'm like, I'm too nice for this. <laughs> um, it was just terrible. Like Tuckwila. <laughs> it was yeah. the And then yeah. a, my, you know, my my kind of one friend that um that I knew from college, she was working at um Cairo, Cairo TV, I think, Cairo Radio. So I'm driving, you know, my crappy car to Tuckwilla every day, hating my job. And my friend was driving a brand new Jetta, shopping at BB, making like
0: $40,000, whatever. I forgot about BB. Is BB yeah. still around?
1: I think it is, yeah.
0: Oh God, I haven't thought about BB in a long time. And I was yeah. like, I'm doing
1: that. I'm gonna get into into ad sales. And so then I uh, took a job with uh, TCI Media Services, which was cable, and then I went to Intercom, Fisher Broadcasting, all the things. And then the internet started, and, I, and um, a friend of mine, Chris Drake, had a friend, Trisha Boshi. I don't know if you know Trisha Boshi. Anyway, she was working at a company called MyPoints. It was one of the first email marketing companies based in San Francisco. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to go. I'm going to go do that. In fact, when I left Intercom, I told my boss, because he's like, we don't want you to leave. And I was like, you know what? I need to go do something that someday I'll, I'll be on Oprah. <laughs> <Back> <laughs> to Oprah. I know Oprah would be long retired before I would ever have the chance, but yeah. So then I went to work for a company called MyPoints. It was, you know, it was great. They had just gone public. It was a big dot com, you know, and I was there for like eight years. And then I worked for a bunch of other startups. And then finally, I worked for, you know, like Brooklyn, New York, whatever, companies based there. Um, and, and then finally, I thought, you know,
0: I'm just gonna start my own company. Like, how hard could it really be? Well, I was struck, you know, Stephanie, when I was preparing for this, I was definitely struck by the fact that you do have a kind of thread throughout your your history before starting Glam Hive of sales, right? And account account, executive Mm -hmm. stuff and, and people and front facing kind of um, roles that require a lot of drive and perseverance and, um, you know, confidence and I always wonder if there's a correlation. There's there's CEOs who are not sales yeah. driven CEOs, but yeah. I do think that if you know how to generate revenue as a CEO, I can see where that would just be. Like, well, why not? <laughs> why wouldn't I just go start a company? I know how to generate revenue.
1: That I mean, that was the hard part is I had only but but like you're generating revenue for a company that's ready to generate revenue. Yeah. And that was the part I didn't know is uh-huh. that you know, if we when we talk about Glamhive Hive, that we did a hard pivot, but we meaning me, because my co-founder, you know, quit. Um, but to, to speak in the royal we. Yeah. Me, myself, and I. Um, you know, but yeah, that's true. I and, and even today, you know, a lot of our revenue comes through partnerships. And and I look at it now and, you know, when investors ask, I'm like, it shouldn't be a real shock because that's my experience. Like yeah. when the bank gets tough, that's just what I'm gonna lean on. Building a community, building a platform, building a marketplace, PR, copywriting, UX. I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn all those things.
0: When you you said like, hey, I thought, why not just start a company? Did you think that first? And then, hey, I need to come up with an idea? Or you had an idea and then you thought, well, let me just go build this.
1: um, So this company, My Points, that I really loved, it was like my favorite job that I had it was just a great group of people. We were all super close. We made a lot, a ton of great money. And, you know, it was kind of circling the drain. It was bought by United online. I won't say anything sassy. Anyway, it was (laughs) like pause, pause, Yeah, circling the drain. And so I thought it's such a great company, but nobody there cares. Like you could just basically redo that company. Kind of like what daily candy did in a way. Mm
0: I love daily you, candy.
1: Yes, daily candy was awesome. You could see companies like Goop, where you could kind of, you know, because I, in a way, my points was email marketing, but it was basically membership marketing, and it was affiliate marketing. So I, I kind of knew it would be around there. But I, and so even when Glam Hive started, the initial decks were like shop, share, get rewarded, and so even like our tagline was this idea of something around like a more stylish rewards program, like that's because li- that's all I really knew. Mm. And so that's kind of where we started. And then from there, it was like, I called a bunch of people because I knew I wanted a co-founder. Like there was not one part of me that thought I could do it on my own. Uh, you know, and then, I don't know then, then from there, um, I mean, I can just tell, what was the,
0: tell me the process for finding a co-founder. I just like, called like the four people I knew that might be interested. And said like, what, what, um, what were the gaps that you were trying to fill I, aside know, from wish, like camaraderie?
1: No, I'm not that linear of a thinker. I just was mostly like, I want to start a company, but I'm, you need I need can't do it alone.
0: Yeah. So were you thinking I need the capital from someone else or I need no. the, the confidence to say like, it's not just me, myself and I, or like, I'm good at sales. I need an operator. Honestly, I don't even know what I thought. I just literally,
1: it was May, it was January 13th, 2013 which I think is very close, or the Feast of the Epiphany. My aunt, who's Catholic, told me this. And literally I was in Paris walking and I said to my husband, I'm going to start a company. I I don't even know why or what or any of the things. I just said it. And then from there on, that's just what I was
0: gonna do. And what's the day you incorporated and was Glam Hive the name of the company?
1: Yeah, Glam Hive was the name, but I think it wasn't until, I don't know. So I called, that's a good question. Um, there were some clients that I knew, maybe I thought I needed someone that knew marketing. If I think Mm -hmm. about the people I reached out to, what they had in common was marketing. I just called up like the, some people that I knew. And then one of the people that I called was, uh, someone that I worked for, she and her business partners for a performance-based ad agency in Boulder, Colorado. And she had just sold out her interest. And so she's like, yeah, yeah, why not? Sort of. And, And then it was like, I guess. Well, what is the business? What's it going to be? And then talking to investors. I would never done anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting a lot of feedback from investor types. And I didn't even know any investors at the time. I mean, I don't I, I, I even know.
0: How did you fund it?
1: Initially, um, initially we put in some of our own capital. I mean, not some. I would say it was fairly significant. Because we, we finally raised money. I, I kind of look at the start date, actually, uh, September of 2015 because for about two years, you know, I was also doing some con- consulting and we were figuring out the idea, but I think I thought, come up with an, I, an idea, do a debt, get funded. A couple of years later, go public. I mean, I, I mean, literally it was like, that's kind of what I, <laughs> I love the confidence. That's amazing. It, 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 I just think it was like pure blind. I don't even know what, like, but I had worked for a lot of successful companies. My points yeah. went public. I worked for a company called buddy media. They sold for $900 million to Salesforce. I mean, I wasn't there during the early years. It's funny because I called on Tim uh, Pandora a million years ago when Tim Westerman was the founder. I somehow got a hold of his number, pitched him something about my points. And he was like, I would love to do what you're suggesting, but this entire company is on my credit card. All my credit cards are maxed. And he would never remember that conversation because I just was a salesperson that called him. But now all these years later, I'm like, I get it, dude like when you just believe in something, but like, you're like, I've like put everything online for this.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I thought we would get funding very quickly. It, it, we didn't, but, you know, we got funding in 2015, some local investors,
0: we won Seattle angel conference and then, you know, did you raise raise institutional money or angel angel investors? Oh, the Seattle angel. Okay. Yes. Seattle angel conference. Seattle angel. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. We basically raised from angels. Um,
1: no, let's be very real. The The truth is, there's no not one institutional dollar. Even today, it's hard. I've never played the whole female founder tech card ever. But when you really think about it, if you didn't go to Stanford, if you, you didn't work at eBay, if you didn't do these things, and, and then you're working to raise money before basically it's proven out, you, your route is angel investors. Yeah. That's your route. It just yeah. is, and so yeah. and it's fine. I don't care. But even now, I'm just like even now, and I'm not saying that you know we still have a long way to go. But
0: when
1: when women get two percent, like I've never even like said that. I I don't even pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, because I'm like it really. But doesn't... it
0: is. The, but it is the facts. The women get two percent. Here's the fact.
1: Eventually. It is two. Yeah. If it's 2% and then, and then it's like, well, we don't do fashion. We don't do SaaS. We don't, then it is even narrowed down more for whatever category you're in. Yes. So like, it's, it, you know, it's tougher and it's fine because there's a million different ways you can raise money, not a million, but let's say four. Um. So fine. But no, no, and no, no. And, no, no.
0: and also, if, if, I don't know the numbers, but I'm not a good like statistics person, but let's just pretend that there's some number that's very small of people that are still in business seven, eight years later. Like that well, statistic is really low of people that are still in business, like startup founders that have maintained a business like you have, and especially through a pandemic. Like I'm super curious with your business. Yeah. Like, But before we get into it, for people that don't know Glam Hive, what is it? What's the business model? Yeah. I want to know, like, where it, are you today with the business model?
1: You know, so anyone, most anyone listening today is not a stylist. So I'd say that what Glam Hive is, is a marketplace where you can work with a stylist ranging from literally the top stylists in Hollywood, Angelina Jolie's stylist, Tom Brady's stylist, Kristen Stewart's stylist, all the way down to emerging stylists in the market. So you come to glam hive, you can browse the roster. You can get matched with a stylist and we pivoted. I pivoted the company, I think 2017, let's say it's 2017. And at the time, the idea of virtual styling, nobody, nobody, Nobody could understand what I was talking about, but I had been using GoToMeeting or Zoom forever. So anyway, the point is is that you can come to Glam Hive and work with a stylist virtually. So now it seems like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. But in 2017, stylists were like, well, sure, I guess I'd work with someone online. You know, today, everyone has been online. Children have done preschool online. Grandparents have kept, not even online, Zoom, right? Zoom. So now, like, I was in Los Angeles and I woke up and my eyes were all crazy, like swollen shut. Two in the morning, I could talk to a doctor on Zoom. He could call in, you know, you can talk to a therapist online. You can do all these through Zoom, right? So that's what Glam Hive is. So yes, you can work with a client if you want to have a stylist come to your house, whatever, we do that. But the real central glam hive is come to glam hive get matched with a stylist whatever your price range is for four different services and then get work with them virtually so then instead of being stuck with a stylist in your zip code you can work with a stylist that resonates with you and basically what a stylist is because it's kind of a, a hidden industry stylists work in people's closets you know they're not standing at a salon doing someone's hair you know it's not like a trainer where you see them doing something, but a stylist really becomes like an image consultant, almost like a personal coach, where through how you dress, you either strengthen or become who you want to be. So it's really great to say that what's in your heart matters, who you are matters, yes, that all matters. But the reality is, is people make a judgment of who you are within three seconds of seeing you. And if you're in business and you show up looking a certain way, you will be judged a certain way. And research indicates the better you look, the more money you make, the better your team does. So even if you say you're not into style, you're not into fashion, I I completely disagree with this notion because um, in fact, you don't have to, we started this whole conversation by me saying, I'm not even really into it, but you gotta get dressed in the morning. And by not putting on an outfit, doesn't mean that people take it as a plus in the column of, oh, they're so smart, they don't care about style. It actually becomes a minus. Which is oh they don't seem as smart or successful or confident as someone that I would choose to hire. Yeah. So a stylist really is there to help you. Maybe if you're very you know wealthy and you have all the things that helps you just it's it's like you're outsourcing help. But for a lot of executives, one of our stylists his name's Andrew White's. So I love Andrew, and he styles Tom Brady and a bunch of he was a an agent at William Morris Endeavor. He's awesome and his whole tagline I wish I could steal it. Style, period, confidence, period, success, period. That's how it works. Style, confidence, success. And and that's what Glam Hive is about. It's not about looking a certain way or buying a certain thing. It's about just hiring someone that's going to look at you and say, we're just going to bring Who do you want to be or who are you? And how do you want to show up in your life? And we're going to make that happen through close. And what are the four services? Okay, so there's the professional edit, which is like a closet we used to call it a closet detox where you want to start is what should you not have in your closet like get rid
0: all the white t-shirts with the pit stains all the blazers that have like really weird lapels that are just like no longer relevant
1: yeah Yeah. so we call it a professional edit because if you're someone that already has a small wardrobe it might be that the that your stylist just needs to see what you have it's like an audit it's either an edit or an audit but we call it the professional edit You can do it on Zoom. It's awesome. It's so rewarding. Within two hours, you will feel so great just having another person say, no, keep that or wear it with this or, yeah, totally get rid of it. That doesn't fit you. Get rid of it. Just it really does lighten your mental load. So there's a professional edit. Um, There's a seasonal update. So it's like, hey, it's going to be spring. I need some new things. Cool. Work with a stylist so you buy the things you actually
0: need versus like we discussed the things you always buy.
1: You don't need a bunch of redundancy.
0: Oh my God. I have so many V-neck black sweaters. I'm wearing one right now. Yes. I wear like gray. I mean, black, gray, navy, white yeah. denim. So you don't need it any more. It's just not.
1: So there's a seasonal update. Then there's a special event, you know? So like one of my friends, um, you know, Jill Kinney, she and her husband own Copine, the restaurant in Ballard. And he was nominated or won the James Beard Award. So I think they're going to New York. And so it's black tie. So Jill reached out and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to Great. Here are three stylists. I can totally hook that up for you. It's great, right? Because she's got enough to worry about. Like her team is probably going to go cook in New York. The last thing she has time to worry about is how she's going to look. So special event. And then we have the reinvention, which is like a makeover.
0: All of it. And that's like the full blown. There's so many people and this is going to sound super judgy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because I love fashion and I am in the category of like someone who's very drawn toward it when I see people who don't put any effort in, I want those people to go on your site so badly. <laughs> it like, actually, I, I think Because it, there's it, people that I meet and I'm like, you have the money, you yeah. have the figure, you have the everything. Like, why isn't this a priority in my mind? And it's also like, to me, they're missing out on the fun that fashion brings because it's such a creative outlet. It's so well, much fun. I feel
1: like it's one, it's a sign of like respect. Like when I'm on an airplane and people are wearing sweats, I'm like, it's just not respectful.
0: Yeah. Well, they're cozy,
1: <laughs> but I mean, but you can be cozy and stylish yeah. and I also yeah. feel like, um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts around that because I've obviously been thinking about it for a long time. Yeah.
0: Um, also it's just a thing that sparks joy to use the whole three so. condo I thing. I think it does. Yeah. So the business model, how do you make money? Well, so that's, that's on the consumer
1: side. So you could think of us like Uber for styling, same way mm-hmm. that Uber makes money. You take a cut of each styling On the stylist side, the part that really was a revelation to me is that, you know, so stylists, they're almost, they're, you know, almost all the stylists are women. And so they're, they're small business owners. We don't hire stylists. They're all independent business owners like Tiffany, who we know, she runs her own business, you know, and what a lot of them, and they all work. What I was going to say is what they, they all don't have a lot of things. First of all, they don't have technology. So we built an end to end personal styling platform that gives them the tools to run their business. Everything from payment, like payment integration with Stripe to communications with Twilio. We do shoppable mood boards. So that kind of harkens back to my affiliate experience. Um, You know, so all those things. So we give them a tool set, but more, a lot of stylists they're creatives and they don't know how to, they want to style. They're like, I'm a, I'm a creative. I don't know how to run a business. Well, they need to know how to run a business. So not only do we have our platform, but, but what we bring to stylists is marketing support, marketing kits every month. And then we do workshops, uh, digital workshops every month with, and we just had one with Stacey London last week, you know, from what not to where which
0: I saw, them. um, I saw that you're doing that, that you have like, yeah. um, like classes, like how, like there yeah. are people who could set up businesses to be stylists, yeah. but they don't know how, and that you're teaching that there's like, Almost like yeah, stylist it, university. It's a really yeah, cool.
1: Yeah. So so on this, so we're a marketplace. So on the on the client demand side, we basically connect stylists with consumers with stylists, clients mm-hmm. with stylists. And it's like the Uber model. We take a fee. On the supply side, we monetize, you know, we're a membership model, or you could call it a SaaS model. I would call it SaaS because we're a platform that people pay for. To creatives, I would say we're a membership model because they get the platform marketing support and then classes workshops every month and then we also offer education where we do a proper certification 10-week certification for stylists and then we're unveiling a couple other courses
0: that's super cool And tell me about glam hive live summit yeah and so then the third
1: part i would call like partnerships and so in 2018 i was talking to taylor swift stylist and he's like i really like you stephanie but you know, in, in my spare time, I'm, you know, I'm just too busy. I don't want to style in my spare time. I'm like, well, okay. So you, well, you like me. So then I want like, you're amazing. I want you somehow to be involved in the business. And he's like, yeah. Well, one idea I did have is there was this, you know, there's beauty con, this big beauty conference, you know, why isn't there like a style con? I'm like, I have no idea, but we should do one. So in 2019 we did our first Glam Hive live summit and it was in Los Angeles um with a, but, just an all-day event, like six panels, celebrity stylists, editors, all the things, I don't know, 200 stylists in a room. And it was great. And we're like, oh, sweet, we're going to do these, you know, this is part of the business now. And then when the pandemic hit, I called up my friend Tara Swenon, who styles Matthew McConaughey and Kristen Stewart. I was like, hey, you know, since we're going to be shut down for three weeks, because that's what we were told, why don't we do a digital summit? And she's like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know. We'll just we'll just do something online. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but if you could get like, if you could get 35 speakers, then I'll handle everything else. We ended up having our first summit. We were one of the first companies, certainly one of the first fashion companies to do a digital summit. We had 75 speakers. Wow. Amazing. And then like, we turned around like six weeks later, we did another one. I was like, Tara, we cannot have that many speakers. It, It just about drove our producer crazy we ended up having 145 speakers cuz all these people that were all these awesome this talent that was doing red carpet events in LA it was it was all shut down every movie every red carpet was all shut down so everyone was stuck at home so we just and it was awesome because we really brought the industry together and it was it, i look back and i'm like those were actually some of our it felt like some of my best days it was just amazing and we ended up doing six of them during the pandemic And then when everything opened, we took it to London last year and then New York in November. And our next one is in L.A. May 20th. That's
0: so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And so if somebody wants to get involved either as um, a customer or as a stylist, they can just go on the site and sign up. Yes.
1: Yeah. With Glam Hive in general. Yeah. So if you're
0: uh, someone
1: that wants to get styled or, you know, speak to a stylist, then you can just go to our site and you can either look for stylists or get matched. And then we have Mm -hmm. a matchmaker team that will make some suggestions because the thing is we don't assign stylists. It's really important to connect with a stylist that you think is just awesome. Like you just Mm -hmm. resonate, you know, we had a VC that came in to get styled. you know, and so, you know, I gave him three suggestions. Of course he's, he, he hired Andrew White's, of course he's going to hire Andrew is like a total badass, you know? And so it's always about who you resonate with. So we'll make sure you get connected with a great stylist. If you're a stylist, then you can just apply to be part of Glam Hive.
0: Yeah. And, and can I what's your screening process to make sure that they're like good enough stylists yeah. to be associated yeah. with the brand?
1: Yeah. So, and this is where I think as a founder, I've kind of, you kind of invent something that can be hard to explain. So any stylist is welcome to be part of Glam Hive. Because to me, I look at Glam Hive like LinkedIn, like there's no vetting right. process for LinkedIn or Instagram or, you know, whatever. Where there is a vetting process is who gets to be matched with clients. So Glam Hive has always been inclusive of all stylists, regardless of their experience level. Um, on the get match side, then we operate more like a platform or, or an agency. In LA, people would think it was like an agency because of our business model. But then, what you know, I'm looking for is a really strong digital brand, or you know, someone that obviously has worked in editorial or with celebrity or like Tiffany Wendell, our mutual friend, Tiffany, I mean, she's like a perfect example.
0: She's has styling
1: forever. She's amazing. She ended up starting a company with a celebrity stylist in LA, but here in town, she works with a lot of amazing, amazing women. And so we we really look for stylists that have, you know, at least five years worth of experience. If they're younger, that's okay. Cause a lot of people don't, you know, they can't afford Tiffany. hmm and so, part of democratizing something is in part giving access. So we give access to like the best stylists in Hollywood, but we also make it possible for anyone to work with a stylist. So when a stylist takes our certification program, like a younger stylist, like right there in ten weeks, they get they they totally get up leveled, and now they can take in clients from us. It's not a requirement, but you know, the last thing I want to do is be in the business of massive, you know, client customer service. Yeah, I need sense. to know that the stylists are very good. And then yeah. I've, I've, we've actually never had one complaint on the client side.
0: Oh, that's great. So quick question for you. I I tried to just start last night um, doing the pull-down menu of kind of defining my style. And I don't think that any one category yeah. served. Like I was like, am I elegant or am I like rock and roll? Am I bohemian? Am I, you know, like I'm kind of all of it depending on, yeah. like I guess... um. Tiffany has described it for me, like what I am. And it was like multiple words. Is there a way to do a few categories? So, so I see, couldn't figure that you know, out. Funny. Like I, yeah. I couldn't just pick a lane. Cause I was like, if I put elegant people are gonna, and I, then, then I put 51 years old, they're going to be like, Oh, she's old lady Chanel ballet slippers with like pearls, which is not my love. But I do like, like a Jill Sander, you know, I, I love classic, um, yeah. That,
1: that, you know, that's the hardest part is built is working on the algorithm for that. So what what I, what we usually do is no matter what someone puts down, what they check, our new marketing director is actually, I, I was reviewing something she sent to me because she had the same feedback as you. I'm just, I'm trying to have us pattern match. Yeah. You know? So like, if, like we had a client that came in this weekend, she was 66 years old. She's like, I'm 66 years old. I'm really tall. And, and so sometimes in the notes, like, I'll just know, like, if someone really leans in on their age, I am never going to match her or say, Hey, here are three stylists. They're all 26. I'm just not going to do that.
0: Are you doing it by yourself or you have a team? I, of have, I have a
1: team that does it, but yeah. you know, so I can see what comes in. And sometimes I'll make, cause I know a lot of the stylists very well, Yeah, um, you know? And so as we build out, cause you know, what we're working on is like an algorithm, but it's you know, actually how I built the business over the past few years, because we've actually been running on very limited outside capital. So going back to my partnerships background, how I've monetized Glam Hive in part is the community as a whole. And then going to um, beauty brands or fashion brands or, you know, B2B brands and then integrating them into our platform as, you know, or, you know, sponsoring our events or sponsoring a Zoom, whatever. So, I'm actually working to raise more capital now to really turn on the demand gen on the client side. So, in a way, Glam Hive is interesting because we have the marketplace, um, but where I focus the business is actually on the um, on the supply side, building the company out there. So, we're working on the algorithm because a lot of it is what's in our heads.
0: Like yeah. it's very well to be, be, yeah, and so that you can scale it obviously yeah. that's going to help. So you can scale it. And I think AI will play a role too over time, right? With these algorithms to be like people who like this and also have that also tend to want this stylist. I mean,
1: a lot of it though, is a personality match. Like for sure. It's a person it, it tends. And so in a way, what I know is like,
0: well, that's why I love, and it, I, you know, obviously I'm friends with Tiffany, but I've referred her a bunch of people and have other friends who have used her and we're using her as our example because it's like a mutual friend, and maybe people listen and can use Tiffany Wendell. But there's, um, it, it is a person who can say, like, nope, yuck, take it off, but also make you feel beautiful while they're saying it. You know, like that is a style, or and maybe that's how she is with me because she knows I like blunt and bottom line and quick, and we're very fast together, and that she would know to be delicate and kind of how to mirror people's personalities where other people would be. For me, I love working with Tiffany because she's fast also. Yeah. I need to work with people that are really fast. I'm a very fast decision maker um, and, I, and I'm and i very limited in time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's so much about fit. So I know that it was like you walked into the business saying, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to start it a couple of years in. We're going to IPO. And now, you know, reflecting back, it's 2023, started it in 2015 where are you now relative to where you want to be?
1: I would say that when we pivoted and launched, that was in 2017. So I feel like, what is that? I don't know. I lose track of time. It's five years. Is there six years. Years? six years? Five to six years. And now I know that any startup, you know, for what, I mean, this is what I feel. I feel like it's a 10 year endeavor. That's just what I feel now. I feel yeah. like we think it's not, but it, that's what, um, I mean, it's interesting. There's a well, I won't go, I won't name, I will not say, let's just say mm-hmm. that there's a company that I respect in the space that's not really a competitor. They're more complimentary and their current value is $2 billion because they're a global platform Wow. For a certain segment. So, you know, to me, Glam Hive is a global company. So we have clients that have been princesses from Dubai or, you know, stylists from India will hear about us. So because of it's just a perfect time. You've got social media where people can promote their own services. They have a personal brand. This is not an in real life situation. Yeah. So I see Glam Hive, you know, my three-year goal would be to have 60,000 stylists on the platform, you know, serving tens of thousands, hundreds of, on the platform. So that's like on the tool set side, right? On the SaaS side, if you will. And then on the agency side, you know we also are a global platform so i, I don't know I, have, I i have a lot of that's not a succinct answer but it, i see it as a global opportunity that really should be able to hit um to be a, a significant player in the global style space i actually describe describe Glamhive as a style hub yeah because nobody has organized the style industry and that's clients that's brands that's stylists and then we just got one of our first influencer marketing deals with a big company um, a big watch company because by, you know, our stylists are also influencers and influencer marketing is a huge, a huge part of advertising. So there's a lot here and we're some ways, I mean, we're kind of punching above our weight in some ways, just because we've, we've run really lean. Yeah. But now I need to raise more capital because it's actually more than I, it's more than we can handle. Yeah. If we dial it is, out, it is like I the sky is the
0: limit. I mean, you could really just, uh, just really blow this thing up. I totally it totally makes sense because the the platform is there, the infrastructure is there. You're very early as far as like first movers in the space. Um so you have that yeah. advantage. Yeah. Um and the relationships are there. So um so I'm wishing you like tremendous success. I'm curious like outside of work, how you are balancing it all? Are you working like constantly? How nice. are you setting yourself up to like, I guess, keep your mental health strong, keep um, balanced, just all the things.
1: Well, fortunately, I love Glam Hive. Like we talked about how I don't have kids, like Glam Hive is like my kid. Yeah. But like the kid that I'm also ready to like get out of the house so it can grow, <laughs> you know? Um. So I'm not that, I'm not as attached to it. And what I mean is like now I would say that if a founder is still saying like, my company is my baby it's they're maybe too close for it. Like I'm, I'm I want to let it grow. And that means I have to step out of the way just like you would mm-hmm. as a parent, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think I have terrible balance, honestly. Like it's, it's not, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I've like, I'm a whole size bigger now. I mean, it's, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, I, 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 I love it. And the people I love, I, I guess I'm a helper. So mm-hmm. I love helping stylists. I, lo- I love helping clients. I love, to me, Glam Hive is just super beautiful. It brings a lot of happiness and joy to a lot of people. And so I love that.
0: I love it too. And are there any productivity hacks, like other apps that you use or time management things or um, just anything that, this is, I, I ask these questions a lot, totally selfishly because I'm always looking for hacks. You
1: know, I do a lot of email outreach at scale. I will just say that. Like if I didn't, and that probably is, I would say it's like next level sales stuff where I just um, I just do a lot of outreach. That's not really a time hack. The biggest thing that I've learned recently is that, and I don't do this well, um, you just have to find the times that you can do the project slowly. Like today, this morning, I woke up super early so I could do some writing on some stuff and Mm. i didn't get done because the rest of the day is just whack-a-mole you mean like just the time blocking of like yeah i don't do that but i was listening to someone who has a podcast and it was about i think he used to write for the wall street journal about time management and he basically said there's no such thing the biggest thing you have to be aware of is that when you look at your phone and look at a text or you just reply to a slack real quick when they've like set people's brains up with like electrodes or whatever they can see that to go from your thinking state of flow and working on something to quickly answering a Slack, it takes you 30 minutes to get back in that flow. Oh, it's 30 minutes. And so yeah. the thing that I know now is if I'm going to be on calls and responding to email, doing the like I can't even think about slowing down to like, you know, write, You know, like I'm writing copy for our new Chrome extension, just taking it over the edge, what our CTO did. I'm not going to be able to do that till like tonight. I just won't yeah, that push too makes much sense them, so. that makes
0: sense but no I mean like the whole multitasking while you're actually trying to do deep thinking is a total myth I, I think it is I think
1: the thing that I have going for me is that you know I would say like I don't know that I have a huge social life
0: <laughs> which bums me well, out that's sometimes. a bummer because you seem fun I would like to hang out with you well, I I'm, am fun but the yeah, thing people is- are missing out on you
1: but I actually, sometimes I'm grateful for, I am grateful for it because, you know, I travel and then I'm that way. But a lot of times I just actually, I, it's probably not a bad thing just to like be a little bored. Yeah. Cause the business actually needs a lot for me. Are you, an if, if I had a huge social life, it would hurt the business actually right now.
0: <laughs> well, it's you just But do, the good you thing know. is I work with really
1: rad people. I mean, come on, yeah. I'm working with like Celebrity and fashion, like it's practically like a social life.
0: it's it's almost like a social life. So my final question for you is what fuels you? I think just ideas
1: and people that are excited that work on stuff and make things happen.
0: You know, what fuels
1: me from a very non-philosophical perspective, like our next summit in LA, you know, we're in that zone of stress for sure, for me, where it's like all the things, but it will be super beautiful. It will be awesome. People are gonna go there and be like, it's amazing. You know, it's in Los Angeles in this beautiful, cool loft location. And it's going to be all the things. And it's going to be, it's, it's, I said this to our new market. I said, if it wasn't for those summits, I think we would just be like a boring online company. But there's such a human element to what we're doing. Like Joseph, who gave me the idea for our summits, it was probably the best gift ever combined with the pandemic where we could really bring the work to bring the community together at a time when everyone was scared and isolated. And that is the part of the business that really does fuel me is just all the amazing people that I know is, is just
0: really awesome. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast@fueltalent.com at to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.